chapter 24 of Matthew talks about Jesus coming back. And chapter 25 talks about how we ought to live as we are waiting for the second coming of Jesus. You see, Christian life is not just on Sundays, but every day of our lives. And we know that. We heard that all the time. And how, do we, how are we going to live starting tomorrow? We know what to do on Sunday. We come to church and hear the word of God and we sing praises and we pray. But then what happens from Monday on? So we need to really kind of start thinking about how am I going to live my life? Chapter 25 has three parables. One of ten virgins, that there were five who were prepared, five who were unprepared, uh, when, the, when the, the, the groom came and the one who prepared entered the party and the one who didn't couldn't enter. And then it's followed by the parable of talents. And then the last parable is Jesus talking about what, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me. Um, so that kind of pretty much tells us how, what kind of life we ought to live as we're preparing the coming of the Lord. One is you need to be prepared like the virgins who were prepared with the oil in their lamp. And second is a talent that we, whatever given to us, we need to do our best in order to really bring something to, be, to, be, uh, to please God. And third is that we need to live life giving, not taking. So today we're going to focus on the second story of talent. This story of talent gives us a two major lessons. One, all of us are talented. All of us, God gave us something. Some of us have more, others have less. We complain about how little I have, but we all have something. When I was young, when I was a child, I thought I had no talent. When I heard this story from the church, I thought, oh, you know, this guy had one talent, but I have no talent. People around me reminded me that I had no talent. Even my parents, I was their prayer topic. You know, oh, my older brother, one year, five months, one day older than me. He is good with hands. My younger sister, who is five years younger than me, she's really, you know, good at writing. I was good at nothing. In fact, I was good at, good at destroying things. I take apart my dad's camera and put it together, and it doesn't work anymore. There are a few pieces left, you know, just, and I throw it away, and it doesn't work. Uh, my father really wanted to, he, I'm a PK. You know what PK stands for, right? Yeah, problem kid. Um, <laughs> or perverted kid. Um, my father wanted to, he was a strict man. You know, he wanted to just live by the word. So the Bible says, do not spare the rod on your child. So I pretty much, you know, uh, my father didn't spare the rod. So every time I got out of line, you know, I, I was physically punished. But I had such a good personality that whenever he punished us, you know, I just come back and cause trouble again. Uh, on the other hand, my brother, you know, he went, whenever my father punished, punishes both of us, it would last for weeks. So my father kind of, I was a prime example of what not to do and what happens to the child when you get out of line. So um, other than that, I was good at nothing. Um, but God gave me something. That's why I'm here today, right? Uh, if you think that your child has no talent, if you think your child is a prayer topic, don't worry. They're going to be pastors just like me. <laughs> And then the second lesson that we learn from this uh, parable is this, uh, that, um, you know, um, that whatever is given to us, whether that may be a lot or little, that he's going to expect something back. Well, to give you a background of this story, uh, a master goes away on a trip 
and he was going to come back. And the, 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 the servants knew that he was going to come back, and he was expecting for them to do something with the talent that was entrusted to them. To the first servant, he gave five talents. To other, he gave two. And this last servant, he gave one. After some time, he comes back. The guy who was given five talents, he doubles it, brings ten, and he's praised. You are good and faithful servant. You've been, you know, you've been faithful with little things. I'm going to put you in charge of more. And two-talent guy, too, he doubled it. He brought four. And he was praised as well. But the problem was this, this guy with the one talent. He brought it back just one talent. He didn't lose it, at least. He just brought it back the way, the, 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 whatever was given to him without losing it. He thought he was doing the right thing. But then instead of being praised, he got scolded. And then he got kicked out. And the verse 30 says, you know, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. He was regretting. See, we don't want to go through life and at the end of our journey be regretful. For us to be, you know, weeping and gnashing of our teeth, that is the life that you don't want to live. We want to be, you know, celebrating, knowing that my life counted. My life was for something. It counted for something. So today we're going to look at this guy with the one talent and learn from him what not to do. You see, whatever God has given us, he's expecting a lot of great things from us. The Bible says that, you know, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. So God has given us power through the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you can agree with me that you are living a powerful life. Um, you might say, no, I'm not, not much power. Maybe, you know, maybe one battery size. Uh, I don't know if I can call my life a powerful life. If you look at yourself, you may be not worthy, not powerful. But if you look at God and God's size dreams, you can do wonderful things. You see, through the talent, God wants to really use you in a mighty way. One day I was watching TV and they were doing a, a circus. And this was an interesting circus. They were doing circus with fleas. Do you know what fleas are? Many of you never seen fleas. Uh, when I was, I grew up in Korea till 10 and then went to South America and then to, to US. But when I was young, I remember fleas. Fleas are gifted bugs. Their gift is jumping. Their talent is jumping. They can jump 100 times their height. If you and I had leg of the fleas, we can jump over the Empire State Building. That's how powerful they are. That's their gift. And they're gonna do circus with fleas. Hmm, interesting. Stayed up, you know, kind of watched this. And, and when the time came, there was a little table. And on it, there was a, a kind of small seesaw, a slide, a little bike. Looked like a little kind of playground. And the guy, the trainer, brought it out and brought out the, the fleas in a, in a jar. There are a few holes so that they won't not suffocate and brought them out. And I thought, you know, well, as soon as he opens, they're going to jump. They're going to jump. And when he opened, they didn't jump. And he started taking out with the forceps. What happened? Did he break their legs or, you know, tied something to their legs? Or maybe they're drunk? Uh, what's wrong with those fleas? They're not jumping. And he would, play on, uh, he would put one flea on the, on the slide and just coming down with moving legs. They're alive, but they're not jumping. Well, of course, the MC would ask, you know, how did you train them? And he said, the hard part is catching them. Once you catch them, it's game over. Um, by nature, it is in their blood to jump. When you catch them, they're jumping with all the strength that they have. They're 
jumping, and before they got caught, sky was the limit. They could jump, but then now every time they're jumping, they're hitting something. They're hitting the lid, and they're just busting their head and you know getting dizzy and what's wrong? You know, before I used to jump and it was okay. Now every time I jump, it hurts, and they're getting bruised left and right. And their little flea brain, they begin to think maybe I'm, I'm not supposed to jump. Every time I jump, it, it, it hurts. And after a while, in their little flea heart, they make determination. I'm not going to jump anymore. I'm going to crawl. And they crawl. They still got the legs. They still got the power. But they made the conscious choice not to jump. When I saw that, I thought, that's us. God said, you can do all things. Yet, living in this world... We begin to dream dreams of God, and then all of a sudden, we encounter hardship. We encounter hurdles, and, and we're getting hurt left and right. God, I thought you were with me. I thought you were going to give me strength. How come this is not working out? And we begin to kind of get bruised left and right, and in, there, in our little head, we begin to think, maybe I'm not super Christian like other people. Maybe I'm not the one who to experience the power of God. And we begin to kind of little by little start giving up on things that God promised us. When I look at this one talent guy, what was his problem? I think his biggest problem was that he had no vision in life. He had no dreams in life. He had no purpose in life. You know, when I was young, I used to go to the retreats, and they used to always, the speaker always says, you know, young men have a dream. Have a vision. I said, I have a vision. I have, you know, I have my glasses to help me look. And I said, you know, what, what am I supposed to see? They're telling me to see something. I don't know what I need to see. So I came up with my own version of what vision is. Vision is your ability to see the finished product. Mothers are visionaries. They hold their child, and they can't even hold up their neck. And says, I see doctor in you. Oh, I see stethoscope around your neck. Mm, you're already, I can't see you wearing gown. Mothers are visionaries. You know, whenever you see the finished product, just nothing holds back. Why are mothers are so giving their life to their child? Because they see vision in their child. You're willing to pay the price if you see the vision. Uh, I went shopping with my wife to Macy's. You know, it's a, it's a huge thing for men to go shopping with wife. Um, because the concept of shopping is way different from male and female. Uh, for men, shopping, we have item in our brain. Hammer, you go to Home Depot, aisle 21 on the bottom, you pick up a hammer, pay, and that's shopping. Women, they have nothing in their head. I'm going shopping, what do you need? No, I'm not gonna go window shopping, our windows are fine. You know, why, why wanna go window shopping? And you know, to follow someone like that, that's a martyrdom, you know, it's just, you know, just willing to die for, for your wife. Uh, and I followed. And we're passing by cosmetic section, and there was a camera and two monitors, and called my wife, and stand right here. And you know, didn't want to be rude, so she stood and took her picture on the left monitor, there was a face of my wife. On the right monitor, there was a face of my wife, except she looked about 15 years younger. And all the blemishes gone, it's clear skin, and looked beautiful. I said, wow. And they said, if you buy this new product that just came out, in six months, your wife is going to look like this. I said, really? Wow. And, and my wife knows me. 
I, I, like, I always emphasize how, how I like my wife uh, natural, natural way, not made up. So I tell her not to wear makeup. It's not because I don't like her wearing makeup, because makeups are expensive. You know, I'm cheapskate when it comes to makeup. God made out of dirt. How much money you have to put on your face to make it look good is still dirt. You know, no matter how much you decorate the dirt, you're still dirt. <laughs> and so I, you know, that's why I, I tell her, you know, don't, don't, you don't have to wear cosmetic products, you know, just, but I'm, because I wanted to save money. I just stood around there asking, looking, you know, are you sure it's going to look like that? What if it doesn't? They said, money back guarantee. Six months, if there's no change, you can bring back the empty bottle and we'll give you money back. Really? Money back? Wow. My wife says, what are you doing, honey? Let's go. I said, hold on, hold on. You really give money back? Yeah. And my wife got a little annoyed and she just yelled at me. Honey, what are you doing? You know what I told her? I saw a vision. <laughs> I saw a finished product and I'm willing to pay the money. That's how it is. When you are able to see the finished product, you're willing to pay the money. You're willing to pay the cost. But this guy with one talent, he saw nothing in his life. What am I going to do with one talent? If I had five, if I had two, at least I could do something. But with one, I don't know. I, this is not much. But, you know, but the, the amount of money, one talent is a lot of money. A lot of money. It's like, you know, a few years worth of salary of a person. Yet, he had no vision. We need to have vision. We need to really see what God is able to do through my life. Whatever you do, you don't have to be missionaries and pastors. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, for you to really live your life for the glory of God, for you to really live your life so that people will say, they are disciples of Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus said? People will know that you are my disciple by the way you love. I realize this world is hungry for love. Did you know that? Especially Korea is hungry for love. I've been here, you know, when I first came, I didn't have a residence car, so I stayed at the hotel in Myeongdong for two months. And I realized, I, I realized how hard it is for me to get that residence car, Kosochung. Without that, I couldn't open a bank account. I couldn't, you know, get an apartment rental. Just nothing. Not even phone. I couldn't even order from Kupang. So, you know, I, I, wait, I just hung around in Myeongdong, and I realized, you know, how difficult it is for foreigners to live in Korea. So I decided, as long as I am in Korea, uh, I'm going to be super nice to the foreigners. So then when someone asks for direction in Myeongdong, I just put down everything, and I walk with them. Follow me. I'll take you. Because uh, I, I had a lot of time, <laughs> you know. Um, and then one day I went to, um, you know, I... I since I was there for two months, I decided to try all the restaurants in Myeongdong, every single restaurant. But then I realized Myeongdong is not a cheap place. So I walked a little bit more to Namdemu Market where they have a kind of a row of bokjagulmok. You know, it's like, it's not even restaurant, it's alleyway. They have the stools and you just sit there and, and you wonder where are they doing the dishes because you don't see the running water. It looks dirty. You know, it looks filthy, but it tastes filthy good. Um, it's, it's really good, and it's cheap. They give you three things for 8,000 won. Uh, 
the um, bibimbap, kalguksu, and naengmyeon, three things. So I went there quite often, and one time I went there, and there was a couple, a foreign couple, and a uh, young couple sitting and eating. And I sat next to them and started talking. Where are you from? From Germany. How did you come to Korea? Well, we're on our honeymoon. We got married and we came yesterday. We're passing by. It looked interesting. And we came in and, and this is so good. This is really good. And I started talking to them. And after a while, I asked the ajumma, so how much did they eat? And they said, 18,000 won. That's what, about $14? So I'll pay. And then the ajumma was surprised. Do you know her? Know them? I said, no, no, I just met. He says, in, in decades of, of years of working here, this is the first time someone paid for, for someone that, a stranger. Wow. And then I told this couple, uh, I paid for your meal. Enjoy Korea. And they were so surprised. <gasps> wow. Are all Koreans like you? And I said, just in case you meet Koreans not so good, remember today and forgive Koreans you know, who are not so nice. And this whole thing was being watched by this middle-aged man. And he, all of a sudden, he got up and started giving standing ovation. Moshiso. You know, so, so, wow, he was inspired. $14 inspired four people. And this is how hungry this world is for love. So, you know, I feel so good. So I'm, I'm, I, go, I went out there regularly to pay for someone. Looking for someone. He said, you know, this world is hungry for love. You know, it doesn't take much to, to really inspire and, and, and really just show them love. Have vision in your life to make it count. So that at the end of your journey, you can stand before God and say, you know, it was fun. It was exciting. I didn't live a selfish life, but I try to live my life for the glory of God. And uh, just as you said, love God and love your neighbors, you know, I, I express my love for you by serving other people. That's what the story that follows in chapter 25. Whatever you have done to the least of these, that story is about how you are to live your life, not a selfish life, but giving life. Water, food, clothes, someone who is lonely, go visit them. And God said, you know, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me. You need to have vision. But you know what? Having vision of God is not easy. You would, you would think that God would kind of straighten the path and he would make everything work out. No. Whenever you have vision of God, God doesn't just, you know, make it happen so that you will enjoy. You have to go through the, through the valley of shadow of death. In the Bible, there's a visionary. You know who the visionary man is in the Bible? Joseph. Joseph had a dream. And because of dream, he got in trouble. He was sold as a slave. And he worked at a you know, general's house, Potiphar's house, you know, faithfully. And he was made a manager position. And you know, when he was a good-looking man, so Mrs. Potiphar just made a pass at him. And when he rejected, he was sent to prison. And in the prison... You know, he just was waiting for, for him to be clear and to clear his name to go out. I mean, he began with the dream, with the vision, and look where it got him. God never uses visionary person from the beginning, making all paths straight. Look at what happened to Martin Luther King Jr. He had, I have a dream, and he got shot. Isn't it? 
I came to Korea because God gave me a special vision for children who are underprivileged. Um, I promised my wife, uh, you know, my wife was the only girlfriend ever in my life. I never went out on a date. Not because I didn't want to, but no one said yes. Um, <laughs> never had a girlfriend. And, you know, I look at my college picture, and if I was a girl, I wouldn't go out with myself either. Just, you know, you know, just so nerdy looking. And I was so poor, always wore Mexican poncho. And, in fact, when uh, we started kind of courting, my wife was ashamed to be seen in public with me. So, you know, whenever we meet someone that we know, she goes and hides. And she was so ashamed. And I believe in the miracle of God. God blinded my, my wife so that, you know, <laughs> she will marry me. Uh, and um, um, she said, if you're going to marry me, you need to promise me two things. One, that we're going to adopt. Two, that we're going to spend our life, sometime in our journey of our life, helping children who are helpless. I said, okay, I will do that because, not because I really wanted to do that, but because I was afraid of losing her. So I said, okay, but you know, even in your, I guess, um, half-joking way, God takes it seriously. Um, so we adopted two children, and uh, before I turned 65, I wanted to go and help the children who are helpless. Um, so before retire, you know, re early retirement at 59 last year, after 34 years of church ministry, now I'm at Compassion. Uh, and you would think that this is a beautiful heart. God, I have a beautiful heart. You have to make my life, you know, comfortable, smooth, and make everything work out. Not. My wife was supposed to come with me. But then our youngest child is 16, and she was going to be living with her older sister, who's 31, and, and she was all excited to be living with her sister. And the last minute, two weeks before we came out, she said, to, told her sisters, I think mom and dad are abandoning me. That word abandonment just threw a wrench on the whole thing. So we said, okay, we're changing the plan. So my wife decided to stay back until she felt comfortable. And she's not feeling comfortable. I think I have, you know, I, in order not to abandon our, our daughter, I got abandoned. You know, I'm here by myself. I'm like, God, what's up with this? You know, I'm just living the life that you wanted me to live, and you're supposed to make all things well. This is not right. That's what happens to the visionaries, that you have to walk through the valley of shadow of death. God shapes and molds each one of us as we follow the dreams of God in order to make it usable. And the second thing about this one talent guy is he not only had, didn't have vision, but also he didn't even start. Didn't even start. You know, he buried it in the ground. You see, a lot of people, because we adopted, a lot of people say, oh, at one point in our life, we thought about adopting. But you didn't. You didn't. You see, to make whatever is here to come down here, it takes a lot of courage. And whatever comes down here to make it into action, that takes a determination. Faith journey is this, not only about here. See, a lot of modern Christians, we are happy just to comprehend the word of God up here. And some people have it, oh, and then they shed few tears. 
unless it is lived out in your life, word of God has no power, no miracle. This one talent guy, he decided to do nothing and bury it in the ground. We need to have vision. We need to start today. And we need to start in small things. Secret of kingdom of God lies in small things, not big things. See, we want to impress God by doing just huge stuff for God. No. Faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. Faith of a little child can enter the kingdom of God. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to be there with you. You see, we think that God is impressed by all these mega churches. No, God is not impressed with mega churches. God is impressed where two or three are gathered in his name. There are so, like thousands and tens of thousands of people who are gathered. Oh, God must be there. He may not be there. God is interested in small things. This one talent guy, he thought he was, his thing was too small, too little. He did nothing. Whatever you have, little thing, you need to do something. Last Christmas, Compassion uh, office here in Korea, in Hanamdong, uh, a grandma, 84-year-old grandma came with 1,500,000. It's about, what, a little over $1,100. And she was on the government welfare. Uh, very poor. You know, she barely could make ends meet. But she uh, collected all this recyclable stuff, you know, the cans and the, the, the cartons and, and all this stuff. And in exchange with money, uh, like 100 won, 500 won, uh, for many years because she wanted to buy a hearing aid. She couldn't hear well. He, she wanted to buy a hearing aid. Um, and finally, she got enough money to buy a hearing aid. And he, she thought, you know, all the stuff that are coming to me uh, is going to be not good news but bad news. All the stuff that's going on in the world, why do I want to hear better? All this bad news. So I want to do something good before I die. So she brought that money to help a child. And we said, no, 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 Grandma. You use it. This is yours. You use it. I said, no. I want to use it. At least in my life. All my life I've been poor. But at least one time, I want to do something for the child who is worse off than me. And all the, all the staff who were there were like crying. You know, just, Grandma, just take it. She said, no. And she gave and left. And uh, we were so moved that it, it came out in um, a Christian newspaper, you know, the article. And the owner of um, uh, the hearing aid, the president of hearing aid company, <laughs> saw that article and came to our office and said, can you connect me to that grandma? And then she got hearing aid for free. Um, she, I mean, that money is not that much. But then to her, that was everything. And she gave. Uh, I'm sure she's going to be praised by God in, in an awesome way. We need to be faithful in little things. Um, and one of the biggest mistakes, after this I'll end it, uh, biggest mistake that the one talent guy made was this, that he had a misunderstanding of the master. This is what it says in verse 24. The, then the man who had received the one talent, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. Pretty much saying that you are a crook. You know, you gave me only one talent and you expect so much. That's not fair. 
That's not right. You are a crook. And this is what it says in verse 25. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Here's what belongs to you. Take it. He kind of saw the, the owner, the master, as someone who is conniving, someone who is not business savvy, someone who is not good. What kind of God do you believe in? What kind of master is your master? Do you think God is good God only when he's good to you? We have um, six children among six. One child is just like me, one of a boy. He's just like me. He's a troublemaker. He's a rascal. I mean, you know, he, he causes trouble. It's not like, you know, bad stuff, but then, you know, like he pushes the younger sister on a car so fast it flipped, and then the younger sister's face was all scraped on the ground. Those kind of stuff. Um, and whenever other kids do something bad, he's always involved. And my wife always kind of, you know, I, I don't think he's our child. Other kids are so, like, serene, so nice, and so, you know, behave. But this kid, I don't think, you know, he, we had him in San Francisco, and there were a lot of Asians having baby at that time. I think he got switched you know, I don't think he's our child. But I said, no, he's child. He's our child, all right. You know, I just I I identify with this guy. Um, when he was eight years old, I came home, and um, it was so quiet. And I went to the bedroom, and uh, my wife was lying down, and she was like, uh, and when she turned, her eyes were all puffed. She was crying all day. And what happened? So she told me what happened. I mean, he, when you have that many children, everything is done in groups. You know, study time, everybody come, we're gonna study, do your homework and study, everyone sit down. But on that day, he didn't wanna study. He didn't wanna sit down. No! So mom said, sit down. No! And then when she tried to kind of push him down, uh, he pushed mom and she fell backwards and hit her head on the wall. And she was like so shocked. And she, you know, usually she disciplines the children. But when something big happens, uh, you know, I get involved. So my wife told, wait till dad comes home. You're half dead. You're a dead meat. Uh, go to your room. And he was sent to his room. But instead of going to his room, he left the house and crossed the road and went to our neighbor, who happened to be Los Angeles policeman. Uh, and he knocked on his door and said, you know, sir, help me, because when my dad con daddy comes home, I'm dead meat. Um, so, so help me. The policeman has a responsibility to help the child. So, you know, told him to come in and checked if there was any bruise or domestic violence going on, child abuse going on. He checked him for one hour, and he talked to him. And at home, things got crazy. Where did he go? I told him to go to his room and check all the closet, nowhere to be found. And we're about to call the police and the doorbell rings and, and the neighbor brought our son and the policeman. And he started scolding my wife, you know. How dare you threaten your child like that? Shame on you. My wife, she was so ashamed. This, this policeman, he's just fresh out of a Marine Corps, like early 20s, you know. 
And my wife was so ashamed. I'm so sorry. You know, there's an expression in Korean. 쥐구멍 있으면 들어가고 싶다. You want to go into the rat hole because you're so ashamed. And, and he said, you know, this time I'm going to let you go. But the next time this happens, I'm going to, you know, take action. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then he finally left and closed the door. And my wife told our son, son, go to your room. Unless Jesus comes back, you're going to meet the Lord today. You know, just you, you're a dead person now. And my, as she was telling me this, I was like furious. I'm a peace-loving guy. I'm, I'm not a violent person. I don't have like temper. But then I was like, he shamed me so much, our family so much. Oh, Lord, whoa, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I looked through the scripture, what the Bible says. And Bible says a disobedient child should be put to death <laughs> in the Old Testament. I said, Lord, you know, my wife is good at having babies. You know, this one, I, think, I don't think it's good enough. It just, I just pray for about half an hour for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. What, what, what do I need to do as a father? And finally, you know, none of the kids were coming out. They knew what was going on. And just they were like, you know, peeking out to, to kind of see what was, you know, what's happening. But half an hour passed and I sat in the living room and it was a two-story house. Uh, I told our son to come down. I called him down. And he was coming down the stairs. I don't know if you saw that movie, Green Miles, you know, when someone goes to be executed. He's like walking really slow. And it was, he was coming down. He looked kind of strange. What was, what's wrong with him? He wore like seven layers of clothes. <laughs> Just in case he gets a beating, you know, he wanted some cushion. He was like slowly coming down, and he was this 80-year-old kid standing way over there. I told him, come closer, come closer. I must have called him 20 times, closer, closer. And then finally, he just came right in front of me. He stood in front of me. I grabbed his wrist. And this 80-year-old kid, he was trembling. He was trembling so much because he was so scared. He was trembling like that. I was trembling with him. And I was like trembling, and then I just... I was sitting down and he was standing up. I just grabbed his waist and pulled him toward me. And I told him, son, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that instead of seeing me as a loving father, you saw me as a, as a scary father. I love you so much more than anything in this world. But I guess I didn't really show it. Will you forgive that? And I just started crying. And I just embraced him. And, and he just you know, let out a shriek. <laughs> he screamed once, and he started crying. And we started crying, and I said, you know, son, I love you so much that I'm anytime, any day, I'm willing to exchange my life with yours because you're that much precious, that precious to me. I've never seen a kid cry like that. In Korean, they say, just, you, you cry as if there's no tomorrow. It's crying and crying. And I didn't know there was that much liquid in the nostril. It was just oozing. <laughs> and then other kids started coming down. They realized, oh, okay, he's not going to die today. You know, just everyone started coming down to each child. I laid my hand on them and prayed for them. And I, I just expressed how much I love them. I'm so sorry that I was an absent father because of church. 
I'm so sorry that I wasn't able to show my love to you. I guess you only saw me when you got in trouble and I had to like punish you. I'm sorry that I didn't really express my love more to you. To my children, hypothetically I told them, I can die for you. But we have a heavenly father who actually died for us on the cross. He didn't say, I can die for you, but he actually died for us. Few years passed and he was graduating from um, elementary school. And each child had to come up and say their name and then, you know, tell the whole the people what they're gonna be when they grow up. And our son's turn came. And he went up and says, you know, he told his name and he says, when I grow up, I wanna be a pastor just like my dad. And all of a sudden, just tears started coming down. And my, my memory went back to that date. If on that date, out of my anger, I let him have it, if I have killed him, then he would have grown up saying that I don't want to be like my dad. I never want to be like my dad. But because he saw dad's heart, he was able to say, I want to be like dad. You see, unless you really, you and I really know what love of God is like, we have no reason to live in godly way in the world that is calling for our attention. But if you really understand the heart of our master, heart of our God, heart of our king, then we can truly say, I want to be more God-like. If our God is compassionate God, I want to have compassion. If our God is holy God, I want to be holy like my father. If my father, heavenly father, is a loving God, I want to be loving like my father. One talent guy, he had totally kind of distorted understanding of his master. I don't know how many of us really love God even in times of trouble, even in times of hardship. When all things are going well, we say, God loves me. I am blessed. But are you able to say, I am blessed and God still loves me even when you are going through the valley of shadow of death. Did you know the greatest time for our spiritual growth is when we are going through the valley of shadow of death. Valley is kind of in between the mountains right here. All the nutrients flow to the valley. And as you're walking through the valley of shadow of death, that is the time for us to grow. When things are all fine, in our comfort, God becomes a religion. It is in times of hardship that God becomes a relationship. I say that again. When we're so comfortable in life, God just becomes a religion. But in times of turmoil and hardship, God becomes a relationship. We cry out to God. We call on to his name. And you know, we... Um, friends, we have one life to live. One. Not nine like the cats. You know, I feel like killing the cat if they're going to come to life. But, you know, we say that cats have nine lives. 
We don't have nine. We have only one life to live. Once this time passes, it never comes back again. You know, I'm 60 this year. I don't know where time went. I don't know where time went. Just when are my, you know, parents, their friends said, time flies. I used to say, oh, I got enough time. Not for me. Time is going slow. But I realized time really goes by fast. And I'm so grateful every day, even, in, even though I'm here in Korea by myself. You know, I'm in the apartment. When it, before, I used to love going home. But now, I don't like to go home because I'm walking into an empty house. But even uh, as I'm kind of, you know, uh, doing the ministry here, I said, God, you are an awesome God. At 60, you call me to do something new. You're teaching me something new. And I'm just grateful that I'm spending time. I was in Indonesia. Indonesia is so hot. You know, we go to Philippines a lot. I go to Philippines quite a bit uh, for vision trips. And Philippines is so hot and muggy. I don't sweat. It's just, just water drips. It's like, you know, I can put in a bowl and put that in the refrigerator and put some noodles in it. That'll be naengmyeon. Because, you know, it's a meat coming out of meat. That's how sweaty I get. But even at that, I say, oh, God, you're an amazing God. At 60, you, 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 you could have called someone in the 20s. But at 60, you call me to do something like this. When you're willing to give your life and use your talent, God, use it the way you want. God will do amazing things, even at 60. Uh, so, friends, I challenge you. You're in Korea. I don't know for what reason. Many of you, a uh, pastor came to study at uh, theological school, and uh, we have a lawyer uh, who came to work here. And many of you, for many reasons, came here. It's no coincidence you're here. There's a reason why you're here. Uh, make it count. Instead of, okay, my time here is this many years, so I'm going to wait until this is over and go back and do things. Life is in session right now. It doesn't come back. Once it passes, it doesn't. Do not be like that one talent guy later on regretting. Live your life so that it make it count. And the world will know that you are my disciple by the way you love. Wherever you are, love people. Loving comes in many different forms. Serve them. You know, buy them lunch. Uh, take them out. Show them direction. Let's pray. I don't know how, um, how you evaluate your life. Maybe you feel like you are not as fortunate as the person next to you. Maybe you wish that you had a better life circumstances. God did not send us here to compare and to be depressed or to be happy. God gave us one life to live, and God desires that life to count. So we cannot go on comparing and complaining. We need to be grateful for whatever God has given us and use that for the glory of God. Glory of God simply means making God happy. Will this make God happy?
Will this life, will this action make God happy? And I pray that all of us will have a heart that is desiring to make our master happy. Lord, we are weak people. We're inadequate people. Yet we believe in mighty God. We believe in powerful God. So we turn to you to use servant that has not even one talent, but less than one talent, to bring glory to your name and to bring smile to your face. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.